Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for The Kaka. This is my daily podcast that goes out to paying subscribers every day in which I talk about housing unaffordability, climate change in action and poverty reduction. Huge day, <laughs> the last day for all of those things. Firstly, uh, we got a massive report from the IRD into how much wealth our richest families have, how much income is actually being taxed, and the effective tax rate of those who are the wealthiest and the highest earning families in Aotearoa. This is the first time we've had a chance to get some real data on what those wealthiest families are earning, what they own, and what their effective tax rate is. We have some surveys, but perhaps not surprisingly, the wealthiest don't answer the phone when someone calls up to ask them what their income and wealth is. And even if they do, it's very difficult to sit down with a bit of paper and describe it all, given the scale. The results of the IRD uh, uh, survey of 311 families, they asked 350, if you said no, uh, in defiance of the law, and we don't know yet whether or not they'll be prosecuted, that's a decision for IRD, we know that those 311 families have an average wealth of $276 million per family. That in the year 2021, the tax year for 2021, that group earned $14.6 billion in effective income. Yet only 7% of that effective income was actually taxed. That's because most of the income that those wealthy families receive comes from the sale of assets. So it's a capital gain, which is not taxed. In Aotearoa. And that means that the effective tax rate for those people, the 311 families, was 9.5%. That's taking into account also the amount of money they spent on goods and services that were taxed through the 15% GST rate. So effective tax rate of our richest 311 families of 9.5%. Now a Treasury report, which also came out yesterday, showed what the effective tax rate for all New Zealanders was, or at least Treasury's estimate of it. And that includes the likes of uh, GST uh, paying. And what we've found is that after you take into account the effects of GST, the uh, uh, effective tax rate for a median household is around about 20 22%. Now, there are some households who are poorer, particularly those with families, who in effect are not paying any tax after you take into account the effects of accommodation supplements, working for families payments, and various other benefits and services. So what we see is that also the people who are earning around about $80,000 a year in PAYE are paying an effective tax rate of 30%. So what we see is that the bulk of the burden of paying tax falls on middle-income New Zealanders, particularly those who don't have much in assets. So if you are a renter, 
particularly a, a single renter in your 30s and 40s, and you don't own a home, but you have a high income, you are in effect paying closer to 30, 35% of your effective income in tax. That compares with 9.5% for the richest 311 families. So that is less than a third of the effective tax rate for a person earning $80,000 a year in PAYE and not owning assets. So it, this report has exposed the um, dramatic hole in our tax system because we do not have a capital gains tax. And it shows that the richest New Zealanders are not paying a fair share of the tax. If you, to, if you believe that a fair share should be everyone paying the same effective tax rate, or if you believe that uh, our tax system should be progressive, i.e. those who can afford to pay tax effectively pay a higher effective tax rate than those who can't. And what we have at the moment is a bit like a, rather than a straight line going upwards to the right, we have a line which is below zero for a big chunk of the population and that they don't pay an effective tax at all. And then in the middle, there is a, a massive increase, particularly for those who don't own property and who are single in terms of the, the share of their income they pay in tax. And then it drops away towards the upper end of the spectrum. And in particular, those who are older, who not only are receiving significant chunks of income from capital gains, but <laughs> receiving the New Zealand superannuation payment. So uh, this report has an effect exposed the fundamental nature and problems in our political economy. We don't have an economy, we have a housing market with bits tacked on. And this report exposes that. Now we sort of knew this was the case, but the scale of the wealth at the top end is extraordinary. $276 million on average. And we know now that if that top group had paid the same effective tax rate as someone earning $80,000 a year PAYE, they would have paid in the 2020-2021 year an extra $3.3 billion in tax. Now, over the 2011, 14 and 2017 elections, the Labour opposition proposed a capital gains tax. That was effectively dropped three days before the 2017 election when then-opposition leader, soon-to-be Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, said that she uh, was not going to introduce capital gains tax in Labour's first term and would instead have a tax working group. That tax working group came back in 2019 with a recommendation for a capital gains tax, which Winston Peters, as a partner in the then-coalition government with Labour, refused to accept. And Jacinda Ardern said in April 2019, when releasing the final tax working group report, that she would not um, propose a capital gains tax in her political lifetime. And as Prime Minister in 2020, she she uh, held that new promise by, by not proposing any capital gains tax. So what is the government going to do with this uh, dramatic and um, stark illustration of the hole in our tax system. 
and how it's distorting our economy. And there's nothing clearer in that regard than what the government actually did yesterday. Both the uh, as the housing ministry, so Megan Woods announced that there would be an increase in the limit for first home buyers to get into the housing market, particularly to buy a new home. The limit was increased from $500,000 to $650,000 for a bunch of areas uh, for first home buyers to buy new homes. And the insurance that they have to pay for mortgage protection, the insurance rate is going to be halved from 1% to 0.5%. And that is going to reduce the amount of cash up front that first home buyers have to come up with for the insurance, dropping it from about $6,000 to $3,000 for someone getting a $600,000 loan. That allows a first home buyer to use more of their deposit to leverage up and bid a higher price. And then yesterday the Reserve Bank uh, relaxed the LVR restrictions or announced that they plan to from June the 1st and relax the LVR restrictions for first home buyers, essentially increasing the so-called speed limit, the amount of lending that banks can do, uh, from uh, 10% uh, for high LVR lending, anything more than 80% of the loan to value, from 10% to 15%, and it increased the uh, allowable borrowing for investors from 60% to 65%. So both of those measures will increase demand and therefore prices in the housing market. And that is effectively the government calling time on the fall in the housing market, which of course affects, in a leveraged way, the net worth of those people who, who own homes. And given uh, the way that housing dominates our economy and the wealth effect drives so much consumer spending and uh, business confidence, remembering that um, most businesses and consumers effectively use the equity in their homes as the guarantee for any lending from a bank who have not increased business lending in three years. That uh, housing market with bits tacked on therefore depends on house prices continuing to rise or at least not falling too far. The Reserve Bank said last year that it expected house prices to fall 15 to 20% back to levels that it considered sustainable. And we've seen uh, house prices fall that much. And yesterday's announcements from the government and the Reserve Bank are effectively an intervention to put a floor under the housing market and to keep that wealth effect um, from uh, turning a downturn into a full-blown recession. So the government has effectively decided to continue on with this economic model, even though its own report exposes it as deeply unfair and distorting. And how do we know that? How do we know that the Labour um, government isn't going to propose an election policy uh, again to have another go at the capital gains tax area or try some other way to tax wealth or introduce an inheritance tax? Well, uh, reports out this morning show that Chris Hipkins, who's going to give a speech in Auckland to a business audience, is going to downplay the suggestions of a capital gains tax and instead focus on telling business leaders 
that the government would pay for flood relief spending from cutting spending in other areas of the government. So effectively following an austerity-led approach, which again is part of this overall model, because if you want to um, reward people with more leveraged tax-free gains on residential land, the way to do that is to keep public debt relatively low, which, which it is, at around uh, 20% of GDP net, and that's about a third of what other countries like us with similar credit ratings have, and uh, also keeping budget deficits low. Now, the point of that is when you have low budget deficits and low public debt, that keeps interest rates relatively low. And when you move towards even lower uh, government uh, debt and lower deficits, then you improve the interest rate outlook. And it's notable in recent weeks that wholesale interest rates have dropped, in part because financial markets are now confident the government is not going to go on a, uh, a, a spending binge, if you like, a borrowing binge uh, to uh, stimulate the economy and will instead uh, use belt tightening and the wealth effect from the housing market to bolster the economy. Uh, that's all fine <laughs> because uh, fr- from a voter's point of view because it is median voters, particularly older homeowners in the suburbs of our big cities and in our provincial towns who are the swing factor in any election. And they typically vote uh, at uh, anywhere from a third to a half more the rate than young renters, who currently, there's about seven or 800,000 who don't vote in general elections and significantly more in local body elections. So we have a democratic deficit there, which allows a deeply unfair and increasingly unequal spread of wealth and income in our country, where those people who don't own property and don't have families are burdened with the need to pay high taxes, particularly for older people, many of whom are earning significant amounts of tax-free income in capital gains so that they can receive publicly funded New Zealand superannuation and publicly funded health care. At some point, <laughs> the young are going to wonder about this and go, is this really working for us? Well, we know they know because they're leaving New Zealand at an average rate of 1000 a month. And uh, the announcement uh, earlier this week that they can get full citizenship rights in Australia is expected to massively increase that demand to move to Australia. And we got news this morning that the Northern Territory Police are offering over $100,000 Australian dollars for young police officers to come and work in the Northern Territory. And um, we're also uh, seeing a, um, a revival in house prices here. Uh, and when you look at rents over the ditch, particularly in the central Sydney and Melbourne areas, rents, although they're now rising quite quickly because of high migration there and a lack of housing supply there, are actually still below their pre-COVID levels. And that is because over the last decade there's been a massive um, apartment building boom funded by Chinese investors in the central parts of Sydney and Melbourne. And that's increased the supply of these apartments. 
So for a lot of young New Zealanders who are looking at a big increase in salary and lower housing costs, particularly for rent and therefore more ability to save deposits, then Australia is looking pretty attractive. Now that's uh, that's a bit of a, pro- a problem if you're quite keen on your kids staying in New Zealand and not having to uh, leverage yourself up more just to pay the deposit uh, on that home. So uh, I'm going to attend the um, press conference after the speech today by Chris Hipkins and ask a few questions about that. In particular, his comments uh, um, uh, in his first appearance as Prime Minister, in which he said that he believed the rising tide of economic growth lifted all boats, which this IRD report clearly shows is wrong. I'm Bernard Hickey. Uh, That was the Dawn Chorus for Thursday, the 27th of April. Ka kite anō.